helping you make the most of your money. It's time for Talk Money. Now, here's your host, Jim Shoemaker. Well, this morning we're talking with Kurt Zarnowski of Zarnowski Consulting. He is here to help us make sure that we're not leaving money on the table when it comes to Social Security. Here's the question that I want to ask Kurt. What Social Security claiming options are available for someone who's lost their job as a result of the pandemic? Now, that's my first question for Kurt. He's on the air. He'll be with us in a second. In the second half of the program, we're going to be talking with Frank Allen and Scott Jordan. If you need help knowing what to ask when selecting a financial advisor, they have your questions, and they're going to give us some very insightful answers to those questions. But first, Kurt from Kurt Zornowski and Zornowski Consulting, welcome to the program. Hey, Jim. Greetings from uh, splendid isolation here at the world headquarters of Zarnowski Consulting. <laughs> splendid. Great news is my wife hasn't killed me yet. But, uh, her aim is getting better with each successive day, so I get a little nervous. I understand that. I understand that. I, I'm identifying with that totally. I'm learning to cook, but most importantly, I have learned that I am in charge of cleaning up the kitchen. So, it's a, it's a, hey, it's a new world, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I'm learning to cook and I'm learning to duck. I think those are the two things. <laughs> I got it. I got it. Well, Kurt, I, you know, here's the, it, it, here's the problem. I mean, this pandemic it literally is creating all kinds of problems for a lot of people. But I know those that are listeners are, that, that are thinking about what's happening to my options, what are my options, what can I do here? So my first question, literally, what what you know, what are the claiming options? that are available for someone who's lost his or her job as a result of this crisis. Sure. You know, and I I think we've discussed this on the program in the past, Jim, but, you know, I always like to say to folks, the decision to start collecting Social Security retirement benefits doesn't have to be an irrevocable one. And I think that's particularly important to point out to listeners during this current crisis. So if you are over the age of 62, because 62 is the earliest age you can collect the Social Security retirement benefit, and you lose your job, well, one of the options you do have to create an income stream is to apply for Social Security benefits right now. Now, as we've discussed, key thing in all of this is knowing what Social Security calls your full retirement age. It's based on your year of birth. So, for example, anyone born 1957, Social Security says, That person's full retirement age is the month they turn age 66 and six months. You start collecting the month you reach your full retirement age based on your year of birth. You get 100% of your benefit. As we've discussed, you opt to collect prior to that point. You're going to get a reduced amount. The theory being, if you're starting sooner, you'll be collecting for a longer period of time. So you're given less than an individual monthly basis. But anyone over the age of 62 has the option of beginning to collect Social Security retirement benefits. Admittedly, it will be at a lower monthly rate than they'd receive than if they waited, but it does provide an opportunity to create an income stream. And I always like to remind folks, the collection of unemployment compensation has no impact whatsoever on somebody's Social Security benefits. The only thing that impacts folks collecting prior to reaching full retirement age is if they have earned income, wages and or net income from self-employment, the receipt of different types of unearned income, like unemployment compensation or 
proceeds from 401ks or IRAs and things like that doesn't adversely impact somebody's ability to collect Social Security. So over the age of 62, you have the opportunity to file for and begin to receive Social Security retirement benefits. Admittedly, you're getting a lower amount than you'd receive if you waited. But what happens if you return to work? Because again, you start to collect doesn't mean you have to permanently retire. Well, people have a couple of options then. Because under the rules today, if you have collected Social Security retirement benefits for 12 months or less, one of the options you have is to request what used to be called the do-over. Technically, you could withdraw the Social Security benefit application that you had previously filed. You'd be required to repay any benefits that you had received. Now, the key thing is interest isn't charged. You simply repay the principal. And once that check is cleared, it's as if that first application has never occurred and you're free to reapply at a later date and your benefit rate will be set not based on that first application filed, but on the subsequent date of application. So you file at age 62, collect for a six months or whatever, are able to return to work, repay the money, then you can reapply at a later date. And as I said, the payment rate will be based on the date you reapply. So within one year, you have that option of doing a complete do-over. But what happens if you collect for a year and a half and then you return to work? So you've lost the ability to withdraw your application and repay. But here's the thing. You return to work. You notify Social Security that you've gone back to work. You're now making $100,000 a year. Pick a number. Well, Social Security, for anyone under full retirement age, as we discussed on the program, there's an earnings limitation that applies. 2020, you're allowed to make up to $18,240 without any loss of benefits whatsoever. You make over that doesn't mean you can't necessarily collect at all, but Social Security then starts to hold back $1 in benefit payments for every $2 that you're over. So depending on how much you're making, you may not be able to collect even if you want to. So you go back to work, report that to Social Security. Based on the level of earnings that you have, Social Security then automatically suspends your benefits because of your work activity. And let's say you continue to work. The good news is, because you have gotten this question and you've posed it to me in the past, people ask, well, if... I go back to work. Do I lose the benefits or did they get repaid to me? Well, the answer is yes, you make it back. Not in terms of a cash payout, but here's what happens, Jim. At someone's full retirement age, Social Security goes back and reexamines their record. Now, think about it. That initial benefit rate that Social Security sets, that reduction over somebody's full retirement age amount, is based on the assumption they're going to collect for the entire period of time from when they start to collect right up until full retirement age. If it turns out, though, that somebody doesn't collect for a period of time because they've returned to work, Social Security at full retirement age adjusts the reduction factor that's used in calculating their benefit. So in essence, their payment amount gets increased or looked at slightly differently. The amount of the their full retirement age amount gets reduced. So at the end of the day, 
the final reduction over their full retirement age payment amount is only for the number of months that somebody actually collected. And so this happens automatically. Somebody doesn't have to ask to have that done. So again, within 12 months, you have the opportunity to completely withdraw, repay, and reapply. But even if you've collected for more than 12 months, return to work, you're be adjusted upward at full retirement age. So again, as I said, the amount of the reduction is only going to be for the number of months that you would actually collect it. So again, this decision to start to collect doesn't have to be an irrevocable one. And uh, if you do return to work, congratulations. Uh, and at the end of the day, if there are periods of time where you don't collect, it's going to result in a higher payment for you. Wow, that's that's a lot of answer. That You know, you covered, I mean, that is so, I think what people heard there, I mean, you're talking about claiming options, retirement benefits, what happens at unemployment. Kurt, that is, I mean, I think everybody understands that you just, they need to be sensitive and be aware, and you've just explained it to you. If you're listening, just tuned in, this is Kurt Zarnowski, president and founder of Zarnowski Consulting. You can listen to this on the podcast. If you missed it or you want to let somebody else to do that, just go to iTunes and search for Shoemaker uh, Financial. You can do that with the podcast. Kurt Zarnowski talking about what's going on with Social Security from claiming options to retirement benefits to unemployment benefits, does it affect you? But, Kurt, here's the question. A lot of people are concerned about this. Now, there's a budget deficit. Let me give you an update of a budget deficit. We have a budget deficit currently, uh, right now, for $1.4.8 trillion. $1.4 trillion. And now, think about that. one48 Now, that's higher That's higher than it was in 2009, which was 1.41. So the question is, with all this Treasury Department money flowing everywhere but Social Security, what's the impact do you think is going to be with the crisis going on to the long-range funding of Social Security? If I am at 50, am I going to get it? If I'm 70, is it going to continue? I mean, that is on everybody's mind. Oh, absolutely. You know, and we've talked about this before, Jim. Each year, Social Security's trustees issue a financial report on the health of the system. Now, the 2020 report came out in April, uh, basically had similar projection as to 2019 report, saying that between now and the end of the year 2034, Social Security was projected to have enough money to cover 100% of the benefits promised beginning at that point still would have a revenue stream sufficient to cover about 80% of the benefits. Now, the important thing was that this report covered operations in the year 2019, did not incorporate any impact on the program of the um, COVID-19 crisis. Because Social Security, if you think about it, it's money coming in, it's money going out. Social Security's primary source of revenue, payroll tax dollars collected from employers, employees, and people who are self-employed. And so obviously, as the unemployment rate has skyrocketed, fewer people working, paying into the system, that means less money coming into Social Security, will have an adverse impact on the future of the program. The exact impact, eh, we'll see it next year with the release of the 2021 Social Security Trustees Report. But my message to listeners it's the same as it's always been, as uh, you know, talking heads used to say. Um, 
I think the program is too important to the American public for Congress to let it go completely away. I think you will always continue to see this social insurance program. People work and earn retirement benefits. What you're going to see, I think, when Congress eventually gets around to dealing with the long-range solvency issue, which they should have been doing before, but uh, it's been much too easy for them to kick the can down the road, if you think about it, um, you'll continue to have this fundamental system of workers, employers contributing to the system, benefits being paid. And I think it's a fairly safe assumption that people who are in retirement or who are close to retirement and depends how you define close to retirement, whether you're 55 or older or 50 or older, can be pretty safe in operating under the assumption that the program rules will pretty much stay the same. I think, though, people who are younger, my kids, my grandchildren, will likely see changes to the program, not in terms of the fundamental concept, but in terms of maybe you'll see that full retirement age that we've talked about increase further because life expectancy is increasing. You may see payroll taxes go up a little bit, generate some additional revenue. So I think you're going to see some changes to the program, but I think it's fairly safe. The closer you are to retirement, or if you are in retirement, you can rest pretty much assured that you're going to continue to operate under the rules as they are today, because this has been the way the program has been operated in the past. Congress has always made changes prospectively recognizing that people have reached the point in retirement where they've operated on a certain set of assumptions and it would be akin to cruel and unusual punishment uh, to pull a rug out from under people who are already starting to collect benefits depending upon that social security income, which is so vitally important to folks. Yeah, I think we might have a world uh, rebellion. You know, you remember the revolution? That might be the revolution again. That's right. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Kurt, you always do a, such a great job for us. Kurt Zernowski, president and founder of Zernowski Consulting. Kurt, summarize, in your mind, COVID-19, you say you are in, you know, you're doing this social distancing. You are in quarantine. Your wife hasn't killed you yet. She's thinking of, but never mind, I'm just kidding. But the reality is, you know, give me your thoughts with Social Security in mind. You've talked about some of the most important things, claiming options, retirement benefits, unemployment, and most important for a lot of people, if you're retired or close to retirement, you said, and I like what you said, it's pretty safe that everything's going to be okay. That's that's a reassuring when it's coming from Kurt Zornowski, and I appreciate that. Summarize for me, partner, what's going on in your mind? What you think? Well, you know, I think today... And with all the stuff that's going on, as we see any time there's an economic crisis, it just reinforces the importance of Social Security in this country today. This income stream that provides a base of protection. We've talked about this in the show before, Jim. It's always been intended to provide a base or a foundation of income, never intended to be somebody's sole source of income in retirement. But we see as folks who may have intended to wait before claiming, if they're over the age of 62, this provides an income stream that's available for them to tap into to help get them through these difficult times, just as Social Security has been there in 2008, 2009, 2001. As difficult times have been there, the Social Security program does provide that guaranteed stream of income um, for folks who have worked, paid into the program, have family members who've worked and paid into the program 
And it's just such a vitally important program that uh, I don't think it'll ever go away. I always say I think reports of Social Security's demise are greatly exaggerated, just as Mark <laughs> Twain talked about his own demise. I love it. I love it. The little Mark Twain today from you, man. I'm impressed. That's great. Well, uh, hold up here in the world headquarters doing a lot of reading. You know? <laughs> oh, trust me, I get that. A lot of reading. You know. By the way, just I've watched Hallmark for the first time, and I'm spending some time watching. I just finished the whole series of American Idol, a first for Jim Shoemaker. That's the way it goes. Kurt Zarnowski, president and founder of Zarnowski Consultant, a frequent guest of ours, dear friend, does a great job. Thank you, sir. Have a great day. Be safe. You stay safe, and to all your listeners, stay safe and healthy, and we'll get through this. Amen. Thank you, man. Appreciate you. you. Bye-bye. Well, my guest coming up, we're going to talk right now with two guys that are going to answer your questions because they're questions that you have said, I need help. I, we just, I just talked to somebody yesterday that said, I'm asking these questions and I'm not getting answers. I, I'm trying, but I, I don't hear people answering my questions. Well, what kind of questions should you be asking a, an advisor if you're trying to work with? Maybe it's your current advisor and you're trying to figure out some things, or maybe it's a new advisor that you're trying to go to. But what questions are they? Well, those are things that I think we can help you with today because I, I sense that that's, a, that's an anxiety, it's a trust, it's compatibility, and all of those, those things that go on when you're trying to find somebody that you can get some support and help from. So let me welcome to the program Scott Jordan and Frank Allen. Both of these guys are certified financial planners. Both of these guys have a lot of experience. Welcome to the program, Scott. Great to be here, Jim. Thank you for having me this morning. Well, guys, let me just start with this. I mean, here's the first question. And it's on everybody, and it's the elephant in the room when they start working with somebody. It's just, that's the question. And yet a guy says to me, is it all right to ask? You know, can I ask? And I'm thinking, well, of course you can. I mean, you should. <laughs> but, but it's a question, and they, they don't really know. And I understand that. And so let me lead with this question. The bottom line is, how will you, talking to the advisor, make money from this relationship that I have. I'm going to start with you, Frank. What do you, how do you start with that? How do you, what do you talk about? Yes. Well, there, there's several different compensation models. And so, you know, as an advisor, when you're deciding to be, to get into the business, then that's one of the questions you ask of the firm that you're interviewing and trying to come on with. You know, what I like to try to do is, is make sure that the client knows that I'm compensated in a way that syncs my goals with theirs. And to me, that's really important. If they have a goal of increasing their assets under management, and that's a goal of mine as well, and I get an increase when they get an increase, then our goals are in sync. Uh, So I'm always working for the same thing that the client is wanting and working for. So to me, that's one of the best ways to to communicate that, that you're together and that you can have a successful relationship if your goals are the same. So the goal that you have and the goal that they have Correct. has to sink in. Correct. Okay. Now, tell me what happens if that doesn't seem to be working. I mean, you know, where the goals don't seem to be the same. Well, the way, you know, if goals aren't the same, then you got to question, well, are we, are we in the right relationship here? Um, you know, I think there, there are some advisors that are like completely commission-based. There's some advisors that are completely fee-based. And then there's some advisors that have fees and commissions. And you want to be, a, as a client coming in, making a decision about an advisor, you want to work with somebody who has some options. They have tools. 
It's not necessarily a, uh, you know, a one-trick pony. You know, you want to be able to work with someone who can, uh, you know, have a lots of choices, and sometimes that includes the way they're compensated. The choice of how they're compensated can be different. And so you, you just want to make sure that you, you're working with somebody who has choices and options and that you understand and that they clearly lay out to you how you're getting paid. Right. That's, that's good. That's good. I guess, uh, Scott, I want to come back in just a second, but here's the question. We're going to take a short little break, but here's the question. I, when he's talking about this, I'm thinking, okay, there's a difference between two words, fiduciary and suitability. And I think the client, everybody listening needs to kind of think about that. Is my advisor a fiduciary? Can he act for me as a fiduciary? Or is he working for me on a suitability or is he doing both? And I would like for you to explain, both of you, to kind of walk us through the question. Should you ask the question, are you a fiduciary or is this about suitability? And how, what does that mean? I think everybody wants to know that. If you just tuned in, my guest, Scott Jordan, Frank Allen. We're talking about questions that you might need to know to ask when you're looking for an advisor. So many times we get this where people are saying, I'm struggling. I don't know what to ask. We understand that. So today we're kind of devoting our discussion with you about, hey, what questions should I ask? Well, the first one is, and then Frank covered it ill, how do you make money? In this relationship, now we're going to find out what's a fiduciary and what's meaning, what does it mean when you say suitability? Stay with us. I'm Jim Shoemaker. This is Talk Money. Podcasts of Talk Money are available in the iTunes store. Just search Shoemaker Financial. We'll be right back with more Talk Money after this. Neither Shoemaker Financial nor Securian Financial Services are affiliated with Kurt Zarnowski or Zarnowski Consulting. The views and opinions expressed are those of Kurt Zarnowski only and have not been presented on behalf of or endorsed by Securian Financial Services, Inc. or Shoemaker Financial. Jim Shoemaker, Scott Jordan, and Frank Allen are registered representatives and investment advisor representatives of Securian Financial Services, Inc. Securities dealer, member FNIRA SIPC, a registered investment advisor. Shoemaker Financial is independently owned and operated. And now back to Talk Money with your host, Jim Shoemaker. Well, welcome back. We're talking with Scott Jordan and Frank Allen. And we're talking about how do you ask questions when you're going through, or what questions do you ask, I guess is a better way to put it. What questions do you ask when you're selecting an advisor? Now, here's the problem. A lot of times, if you're fearful of that, here's what you do. And we're all guilty of this. We let the headlines become our advisor. You, you get up in the morning, you, you look at what CNBC says, you look at what CNN or whatever, Fox or whatever, and all of a sudden that becomes your advisor for the day. And that is dangerous. I mean, headlines, folks, and you know this, are pessimistic. They create that mind of fear, and you can't manage money listening to headlines. That is enormously effective in the wrong way. And so when we talk about asking questions, it's really to kind of help you know if you need somebody to help. Here's the questions you should be asking to anybody, to your current advisor, to anybody you're talking to. You've asked us. This is what we're trying to do. The first question we said was, how do you make money? And Frank says, fee-based or commission. Know the difference. Understand. I like what you said, Frank. You said goals need to line up. Your goals, their goals, that's really critical. And and you need, I guess what we're saying, that the advisor the advisor, your goals need to be with the client, but client, find out what the advisor's goals are. And that's basically what the whole thing is all about. So now, Scott, let me lean with you. Standard of their 
they're they're working. I mean, how do they work? Kind of the way they put it, what standard are they working under? And I said the words fiduciary and suitability. Explain. Those are fancy words, Jim. Yeah, they are. are. Very confusing, very (laughs) confusing. No, uh, I think this is an important distinction and an important question that you should ask any advisor is, uh, are they a fiduciary? Are they operating under a suitability standard? Now, let me explain kind of what that means. A fiduciary has a legal obligation to always act in the client's best interest. So when now, you say client's best interest, that that makes me kind of that that's lining up with the goals. That right? is lining up with their goals. Okay. They have that duty of loyalty, that duty of care, and that duty of prudence that they have to follow and always put your interest first. Now you think that would be almost a no-brainer, right? I'm 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 hiring an advisor. I would hope they had my best interest in mind, but uh, there is a you can operate under what's called a suitability standard. Now, nothing wrong with operating under a suitability standard. Let me let me put that out there. You can you can operate under both of these standards, and we have the ability to do both. Uh, suitability just says that you know whatever investment or whatever financial product that they are they are offering to you or putting you in, it's suitable at the time it is sold. So at that date, at that date, yes. So a fiduciary, you know, again, always has to put your best interest first. Suitability. Well, the product's suitable at the time that they that they put you in that. Now so it's you, a little little different, and there's a distinction there that is very important. You made a comment. You said, uh, I guess, the in the fiduciary loyalty. Yes. And, and, and I, I want to make sure I understand loyalty. I want to make sure our listeners understand loyalty. It's kind of what you said, Frank. Loyalty says that I'm loyal to the client. That's what means by fiduciary there. So it's not to a company with a product, or it's not to your firm. The client has to be first and foremost first. Absolutely. That's right. And I have been asked the question. A number of prospects have said, so are you a fiduciary? Okay. And so I have had to go into that explanation. I haven't had anybody call me and say, are you a suitability guy? <laughs> <laughs> I understand Are you suitable? That. It's never, uh, yeah, are you suitable? No. Yeah. I've I never had that question, but the fiduciary question is a good one. And that, that word has gotten a lot of prominence here and visibility lately. So it is a popular word to be asking, and it is important that we understand and explain that we're that we're obligated to put our client's interest before our own. The loyalty to the client, right? Do no harm, and the loyalty to the client. So, with those two, how you're paid, and are you acting fiduciary and suitability? Those are two very big questions. I mean, no question about that, right? I mean, those kind of are the big starting cornerstone questions to help you understand who you're hiring, what you're doing, and, and kind of sets the standard to some degree. That's right. That's right. And there are other things that fall into line after that, but I think those are some high-level questions that might, like, uh, keep a person in the door, you know, when, when they're asking high-level questions first, and then they want to get into more detailed questions and uh, how am I going to work with this guy, okay. you know, right. that kind of thing. Tell me about investment philosophy then, Frank. Okay. I think that's what uh, kind of the thought process. I mean, I, if I'm going to do some investing with this guy, I've been listening to the headlines. They right. finally got me out of the door. I've got to go get somebody to help me. And I get that. Uh, you know, so tell me, I mean, if I ask, can I ask what a person's investment philosophy is? Yes, absolutely. It's a great question to ask. And it involves things like uh, you, you end up talking about diversification. You end up talking about things like dollar cost averaging, you talk about different things and different ways of investing that can spread your risk. So, But you always want to get into understanding. And, and I've had people call me, and uh, I don't even know them, and they'll call and say, so I've got, a few, I've got some money here that I want to invest. What should I invest it in? 
Well, that's a really way open-ended question, right? So you've got to ask a lot of things. The first question I typically ask is, well, first of all, how much cash do you have in the bank, right? Because if you have zero cash in the bank, but yet you want to invest a certain amount of money, I'm going to be telling you, well, that's not a good idea. Hmm. Investing right now is not necessarily a good idea. Let's talk about your overall situation. Make sure you've got money in the bank for a rainy day, and then we can talk about investments. That's a great way of looking at it. Start with how much cash. Start with knowing what they're trying to do. You just tuned in. Frank Allen, Scott Jordan, we're talking about questions that you can ask when you're asking an advisor, your selecting advisor. We're going to take a break, listen to Rebecca Razor. She's going to talk about the Mid-South History Moment. We always enjoy listening to her. She tells us about our great city, and we're proud of Memphis, and thank you for listening. We'll be back in just a minute. This is Jim Shoemaker, and this is Talk Money. Be sure to like us on Facebook. Just search Shoemaker Financial. We'll be right back with more Talk Money after this. Support for the abolitionist cause in Tennessee highlighted just how divided the state was over slavery during the antebellum era. Most of the northern states had outlawed slavery decades before the Civil War. However, it was legal for southern slave catchers to pursue escaped slaves into the north and a federal offense for northern residents to help escaped slaves avoid recapture. Most of what we know today about the Underground Railroad comes down to us from oral tradition, as every effort was made to avoid any written record of these activities. In East Tennessee, where there were few large families, only one in 12 persons was a slave. But in West Tennessee, almost four out of every five persons were slaves. Though the first anti-slavery publication in the U.S., The Emancipator, was printed in Washington County, Tennessee. The two suspected Underground Railroad sites in Tennessee, the Burkle and the Hunt Phelan Estates, are in Memphis. This has been another Mid-South History Moment, brought to you by Shoemaker Financial. This material represents an assessment of the market environment at a specific point in time and is not intended to be a forecast of future events or a guarantee of future results. This information is not investment advice or a recommendation. The S&P is an unmanaged index of 500 large cap stocks. Investors cannot invest in an index. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. Investments will fluctuate and when redeemed may be worth more or less than when originally invested. Financial advisors do not provide specific tax or legal advice and this information should not be considered as such. You should always consult your tax or legal advisor regarding your own specific tax or legal situation. And now back to Talk Money with your host, Jim Shoemaker. Welcome back. You're listening, of course, to Talk Money on a Saturday morning. Thanks for joining us this morning. We're talking with Scott Jordan and Frank Allen. We're talking about investment questions or questions that you might be in, in asking an investment advisor. Frank was talking about the philosophy. What investment philosophy? Talk about, you know, having cash, asking the first question. How much cash do you have? Great question. If somebody, you know, is asking, well, what are you trying to do? That's the bottom line. They're beginning to get into what you're wanting to do with your money, not just telling you what you should be doing. Thing you mentioned, Frank, you said asset allocation and diversification. And I know we want everybody to understand this about those two. Those are fundamental, you know, CFP 101. And when you talk about investing, but it, both of these asset allocation and diversification doesn't guarantee that the market still can't have an effect in a portfolio. We want everybody to understand that, that, that those two are fundamental. You must know what asset allocation is. You must know about diversification, but it's not a guarantee that that's going to correct any type of market correction. Nobody, I mean, I don't want anybody to get confused with that. It's just one of those things that, you know, again, helping people understand. So 
You talked about risk. So help me with that. You know, I think that's important for people to understand. Right? Well, you know, most advisors, all advisors, should, uh, have, a, have tools that they use to help assess what a client's risk is. And, by, and the tool will help you understand, help the advisor understand the timeline that's involved. Like it might be a two-year timeline or it might be a 20-year timeline. Well, there's a big difference in terms of the risk associated with investing for two years versus 20. So we have a tool that guides us in terms of helping us understand the timeline and the amount of risk that a client is comfortable with. So then they, they actually answer questions, and then we, we score those questions and come up with, okay, well, that, that gives me a much better understanding of what, how comfortable you are with risk. You're either very, very aggressive, very, very conservative, maybe somewhere in the middle, but that having, to, having a good understanding of a client's appetite for risk is extremely important before any investment advice is given. You know, that is so important. And I appreciate you saying that because I think to the person listening, and, and, I, and I know I've seen this and I, and I understand it. If you come into the office and you're spending time developing the, your understanding, again, goes back to what you said earlier, your goal, their goal, that has to match. I like that. And I, but here's what seems to be the case. And Scott, you know this, and both of you have worked with this. Somebody comes in and they've talked to someone and they talk about return and they're, 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 they say, well, I can do this and do that, you know, and then, then you start trying to be, you know, an advisor, a real planner. You try to ask for risk and stuff. They, they've already been kind of painted that color of return. Well, what kind of return? What kind of return? What kind of return? And that's really a danger sign. That's something that can really create problems in the future. So understanding risk is is magnitude to when you start to work with someone. Well, it certainly is. And when a person comes in and starts asking immediately about return, a flag goes up for me a little bit because I'm I'm wondering, okay, so what has their experience been? Uh, have they been through a downturn? Are they mad at their advisor for not getting them out? Are they mad at their advisor for, for, for getting them out? You know, uh, one way or the other. Right? One way or the other, right. So you, you want to... Well, they're mad at their advisors. Well, exactly. <laughs> and so you don't want to have a relationship that starts with and pretty much is 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 built around historical performance uh, because it's just not we don't control the market a client doesn't control the market nobody controls the market so we're you know i would just say if a client comes in and starts talking to me about goals more than they're talking to me about historical rate of return then i perk up and i'm like okay well that's that we're working together on that because i'm really a goal-driven advisor as opposed to a performance-driven advisor and a, perf- a historical performance, when somebody says, so last, last five years, what's been your rate of return? What are you getting people? And I'm like, well, like at what risk level? You know, when are you going to need the money? You know, how comfortable are you? But, it, but if you're very, very conservative, the answer might be one thing. If you're very, very aggressive, it might be totally different. So you're going to mislead the person if you just answer the question. That's a great thought there. I mean, that's so important. I think, you know, what you're saying, and, and you're articulating it extremely well, Frank, there's got to be a ca- compatibility there between the investor and the investment advisor, and there's got to be some trust. And uh, you can't just, if, if you throw out a number, that's just a danger sign that you're that you're setting yourself up to not being able to work with a client long term, which is mm-hmm. what you're talking about. You said a keyword. The trust to me is the most single important, uh, most important single word that we're talking about here. If you can't have trust 
uh, of your advisor. And it takes a while to figure that out, right? You don't come in and necessarily determine that in the first 10 minutes of a conversation. So you're, part of the advisor's job over the first two or three meetings is to build trust, right? And so if a client doesn't feel like they can trust their advisor, then the rest of it, to me, doesn't really matter that much. Uh, that is, that's critical. That's critical. Let me ask you this, Scott. I mean, because we're talking about trust, we're talking about managing risk. What type of portfolio? If the a question that I think is so important is, and the, you know, if you're listening now, pay attention. We've talked about how do you make money on my relationship? What standard, fiduciary or suitability? What's your investment philosophy? But I think it's important to know what type of portfolio would you recommend? That's really what Frank was saying, and both of you guys weigh on this. What type? And you said it's not just on historical return. I think that's I think that's critical and critically important. And you know the why. We talk about this a lot. The why drives the portfolio. What are we trying to accomplish? What are our goals? What's our risk tolerance? What's our time horizon? And then we can we can practice those principles of asset allocation, diversification that you guys mentioned, and design a portfolio that has a high probability of hitting those goals. Now. I'm going to use a word that's not often used in investing, and it's contentment. It's very hard to get contentment with your investment plan, right? You know, if if the market's doing great and maybe you're not getting those high returns, discontentment. Market's doing bad, you're doing worse than you think, discontentment. But if you're comfortable with the decision-making process, in other words, if you've designed that portfolio based on your goals, our experience has shown us that that leads to a lot more success in obtaining those goals rather than just focusing on am I beating some benchmark am I getting a high enough return because that that is that is different for different people right and and the portfolio is designed around that particular person what is their tolerance for risk and that's not always going to guarantee returns at all or guarantee that you're going to beat some sort of benchmark so I think that's critical I think another question that some people are asking too is uh, how long you've been doing this. I mean, yeah. you know, those, because, I mean, bottom line, have you experienced the the downturns in the past? And I, I think, you know, I can I can say, you know, having done this for a long, long time, I've experienced a lot of downturns and upturns. And, you know, how do you manage that? And I think sometimes, you know, I said this earlier, don't let the headlines be your advisor. Right. Well, don't let your headlines dictate what the advisor's doing. Right. You know, and, and I think that's important. Now, if you're just listening to our background, we're doing some renovation here in the <laughs> studios. And uh, we want to have new studios here in Memphis, guys. It's going to be great and looking forward to it. Can't wait. But they haven't handed me a hammer yet. But you never know, you know. So, guys, when we get through this, you know, today, we're all going to go in there and help them tear out a wall. How about yeah. that? Yeah. <laughs> right. So I want to add something to what Scott uh, just said. And he's talking about contentment. And what I would say is what goes with that is patience, right? Patience and contentment to me are uh, very close together. But if, a, if an, an investor is going to be patient, they're more likely to be content. And so in a t- it's, it's the hardest thing. And sometimes, especially with this pandemic and with we had such a, a sharp, drastic downturn, one of the f- first uh, thoughts that I was having to people was, you know, sometimes, even though you don't want to hear it, the best thing to do is nothing. And people don't want to do nothing. They want to do something, right? And so something might mean get me out, you know, yeah. or change my portfolio or take me out of the risk. 
And that's part of our job as an advisor and to help them with their patience and contentment is to, you know, sometimes the best thing to do is nothing. And I think right now might be one of those times. Well, that's the holding your hand. I mean, yeah. that's the experience of speaking at I that point. So. You're, you're stepping in, you're saying it. So if you're choosing an advisor, you want them to have had the experience when holding your hand was, was critical at this point. I think that's tough. Yes, and when you, if you're a, a prospect and you're interviewing an advisor or different advisors to determine which one you want, I, I have a theory. I, I think if a person, if you're talking to an advisor and you can see that they're very excitable, <laughs> you know, let's see how we interpret that on the radio. <laughs> if they're very <laughs> excitable, <laughs> excitable, I like it. Yeah. I, I'm not so sure that they're going to be, you know, uh, keeping you calm. When, when you need to be calm. So I would just say, and, and another thing to me, when you're interviewing for an advisor and to hire someone is, you know, if, you're, if the person, the advisor you're talking to is listening more than they're talking, that's a good sign. That's good. That is a really good sign. And a lot of us as advisors, and I'll just admit, we, we sometimes like to hear the sound of our voice. <laughs> and so Especially we, if we're doing radio. We right. <laughs> well, we talk more than we should. Yeah. And so it's really important that we listen because before you give advice, if you're giving advice before you understand what the client's needs are and what their risk timeline is and horizon and their propensity for risk, then you could very easily mislead them if you're not doing a good job of listening. I think that is so critical. Scott, you want to add something to that? No, I, I just I would second that. I mean, I think listening is, is one of the greatest skills that an advisor can have because at the end of the day, we're trying to help the client accomplish what they want to accomplish, and this is their portfolio. So being able to listen and listen for those clues of how they're going to act during the tough times because the tough times are coming, and preparing for those. We can't prevent them, but we can prepare for them. So you know, listening for how they're going to react in that will help an advisor design that investment portfolio and that plan to help them achieve their goals. All right, guys, we're talking about questions to ask if you're going through the process of selecting advisor. You've been listening to headlines. The headlines have been your advisor. You know that's not working. Or maybe you just don't feel like you're getting the advice or you're not, you don't have someone that's working with you and you're struggling. And we've had this question, what are the questions that we should ask? Well, we're going through that. We've talked about how do you make money? What's the standard that you work under, fiduciary or suitability? What's your investment philosophy? How do you manage risk? What questions do you ask me if I'm the client? Type of portfolio. Now, here's the question I think that, that I think is critical. And I'm going to lead with this, guys, and you help me answer it. Both of you work with a team, and so therefore there's more than just one person. Start with you, Frank. Your team is developed uh, you know, around client service, client expertise. Tell me about your team. And is that important? Does the client need to have somebody who's got a team? I think it's extremely important. Um, well, I thought you would because you have a team. <laughs> yeah, I do so have a team. So your team's probably listening. They needed to hear yeah. that. But well, it's I critical. Have, I guess, yeah, it's critical. Whatever. I have a fantastic administrative assistant, and she uh, takes the initiative. She takes so many things off my desk. She handles things. Uh, and e emails that might come in from clients with specific needs before I even read it, she's already handled it. So it's fantastic to have a, an administrative assistant who is just top-notch, has great initiative, 
and and is so service oriented and that was the key thing that I saw when I hired her is she I could just say she was a great first impression and she had a, a, a wonderful heart to take care of people and to serve people so I love that about her and I have a I have a partner a business partner and uh, he's my successor and so I'm planning ahead for the time that I, I will be retiring one day and uh, don't clap Jim don't clap <laughs> I didn't say anything. I'm finally getting rid of Did it. Did you right? notice that? I didn't say anything. So Thought about it, but didn't say anything. You no, know, he's he's a young whippersnapper, and uh, he's he's very good. He's a very sharp guy, and he knows his business, and he's learning uh, my clients and their needs. So that's part, he's part of my team as well, and I have a, a planning team uh, that serves all of the advisors at Shoemaker. We have an investment advisory team. So I'm not on my own. I'm not by myself, and I don't know it all. And I'm happy to say, you know what? I'm going to get with an expert on that, and I'll get back to you. I'm not afraid to say I don't know the answer to that question. It's a great question, and I'll get back to you. But now, Frank, you've been doing this 20 years. It has I mean, been. It's, it's 19. 19, I know. It'll, I know, too. I know. One more year, I'm, I'm, <laughs> almost, I'm at 20. Almost 20. But the point is, I mean, you would think that it would be the normal for you to, to hey, I know it all. I mean, so if you're telling me that, are you saying that if you got an advisor who begins to act like he knows it all, is that good or is that bad? Well, I, I think it's, you know, if an advisor feels like they have to have an answer to everything, and, I, and I've heard the phrase, fake it till you make it, I don't, I don't go by that, right? I, I don't care for that particular phrase. But if, a, if an advisor is just telling you something to sound important but they really don't know, the, I, I think they're going to be found out. You know, I think eventually. it will it'll eventually come out. And I just think it shows vulnerability and humility to to say, you know what, I just don't know everything there is to know about this, and that's a that's something that I don't have an expertise in. But I'll find out. I have people that I that I know will have the answer to that question. So I'm happy to to follow up with them and get back to you. Well, let me ask you this: since we're talking about teams, and I was diagnosed with cancer 12, 13 years ago. All right, what happens? And you mentioned retirement or being diagnosed with cancer and the potential for death. Okay, so what happens, and the question that we're saying here that you should ask the advisor, what happens if you retire or pass away? And I think there needs to be a plan for that because, you know, you're putting a lot of trust and and you're developing this relationship to work together to accomplish your goals. I think that's one of the biggest benefits of having a team or a good succession plan is, you know, something happens, you know, you, you get hit by a bus tomorrow, there's going to be somebody there that understands your situation and can pick up where, where the relationship left off. So I think, you know, the team mentality and having a great succession plan is critical and, and something that should be asked by everyone. Well, listen, uh, Jim, this has been great uh, today. I've been, uh, I've, I really uh, believe in what Scott said, too. I think the way that we interact with clients is crucial, and I think we earn trust every single day every day that we see a client we're earning trust over and over again so everything that we do when we return calls and that's another thing that i read about the 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 best advisors make sure that they return their calls within a certain amount of time and so if you already have an advisor and you can't reach that advisor uh especially during a pandemic or you know that's that's that should raise a flag that's a problem that should raise a a flag that's a great point all right, well, we've been talking with Frank Allen and, and Scott Jordan. We've been talking about questions that you should ask. And, Scott, I want to ask you a question that I think it ties into this. Everything's going on. The market seems to be like climbing out of that March 3rd problem. 
What do you tell somebody with all that that's going on right now? What do you say to them with this issue? Well, I think, again, you know, it goes back to having that discipline prospect of, of designing the investment plan to begin with. If you're confident in the process, stick with the plan. You know, the market's been doing great, and I'm happy to see that. You know, there's been a lot of – you see the headlines where, you know, they're always negative. You said don't let the headlines be your advisor. And I think during times like this when you're getting bombarded by all that information, again, there's the temptation to – hey, wait, maybe I'm not making enough during this recovery or, you know, to alter the plan under any of these situations. And I think, again, it goes back to we've we've done our research. We've designed a plan that's going to help you hit your goals, and sticking with that plan is critical. That's critical. So having a strategy that you know what you're trying to do, and that's important. Frank, you want to add anything before we go? It's just been great to be here. I love talking about financial planning. I love talking about being an advisor. God has really blessed me in that capacity. I've enjoyed working with you for these 19 years and Scott and my peers. And it's my, I love my clients. I love them. And, uh, you know, I'll, I'll, you, you say that, and here's what I think everybody, you're looking for someone who has passion. passion. You know, when you like what you do, it's not work. That's right. And that's a good point. Well, you've been listening to the Mighty 990, KWAM FM 107.9 and AM 990. My guest, Frank Allen. And Scott Jordan. Thanks, guys. I appreciate it very much. Thank you so much for having us. Thank you, Jim. Thanks for having me. My guests, Kurt Zarnowski, Frank Allen, and Scott Jordan. If you have additional questions for Frank or Scott and would like to talk with him or them personally, call them at 757-5757. We hope that you've enjoyed today's program and always. Thanks for listening. If you have questions for Talk Money, send them to talkmoney at shoemakerfinancial.com. To find today's program on podcast or past programs, go to iTunes and search for Shoemaker Financial. Be sure to like us on Facebook. Next week, we'll get an update from Shannon Dyson on COVID-19 health insurance and cost and coverage. Dane Williams will be here to talk about what's gotten the premiums on the increase for your, your health insurance, your home and auto coverage. Michael Powell will also answer some investment questions. I'm Jim Shoemaker. Thanks for listening. This is Talk Money. Talk Money is produced by Greg Ratliff. Guest and content coordination, Francis Fortner. Production assistant, Eleanor Moskovitz. Compliance officer, Tommy Armstrong. Mid-South History Moment, Rebecca Brazier and Drew Johnson. We'll see you next week on Talk Money. Jim Shoemaker, Scott Jordan, and Frank Allen are registered representatives and investment advisor representatives of Security and Financial Services, Inc. Securities dealer, member FNIRA, SIPC, a registered investment advisor. Shoemaker Financial is independently owned and operated.